Hey gang, and welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks again for being a part of this journey. Got a kick-ass interview in store for you all today where I talk with Trophy Brewing Company located in my hometown of Raleigh, North Carolina. Go check them out online, trophybrewing.com is their website. And I get to sit with two of the co-founders, Woody Lockwood and Chris Powers, as well as the chief brewing officer, Les Stewart. And we had a very wide-ranging conversation about business, about brewing, um, and really just their journey um, kind of starting out about 10 years ago or so to where they're at today with you know multiple locations that are very different in nature, um, how they do their brewing practices where they're brewing a ton of different beer all the time, trying new things, testing new things out. They don't just have the same five or six, you know, same beer sitting on tap. So I like the way they think a little bit differently. Um, it certainly was uh, awesome to have the opportunity to go on site with them and just, you know, kind of hear their story. Very fascinating um, how kind of things all come together and ultimately become a success. So I know you guys are going to enjoy this episode. Let's jump right into it. Without further ado, my chat today with Trophy Brewing Company. Let's get it started. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for uh, joining. Thanks for having me down here um, at Trophy Maywood. This is awesome. For sure. Thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks for having us. <laughs> yeah, so let's do this first because I know we have a couple people obviously here um, in, in front of me. Why don't you guys go through, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you on the spot right away, is one, say your name obviously so people know as they're starting to hear voices throughout, but why don't we, um, why don't you give me your favorite beer you guys have brewed at Trophy to start off just as a little <laughs> icebreaker? Who wants to start? That's tough. Man. If you uh, have to think about it, you can come back to it later. <laughs> you have you have one right off the bat? I, I can only say that, like, this is a question that would change constantly. So I can tell you what my favorite beer right now that we are producing is. Um, and it's because I'm proud of the work of the team and everything that went into this. Uh, You're going to steal mine. Oh, sorry. It's current. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's a current thing, right? <laughs> I'm sorry. I am going to steal it. Uh, but Phone Party, which is... Um, our kind of American lager that we're doing right now, I think is an exceptional achievement for our team. And it's the reason that I'm, in, in addition to something you can just crush. And that was, unless that was you, obviously. Yeah, so I'm sorry. Yeah, no, Les okay. Stewart, yeah, Chief Brewing <laughs> Officer. There you go, that's okay, no, no that's all right. Uh, my name is Chris Powers, I'm the co-owner here. And my favorite beer pretty much is Cloud Surfer. I think I could drink that beer uh, every day, um, at least one a day. That's all the doctor really recommends, so I probably just have one a day. It's our New England kind of entry-level modern IPA, which I really like. I think it's a way for people to get into IPAs or get into New England styles. It's got a little bit of haze to it, but it's not over the top, and it's got a nice balance with that malt uh, character to it, nice and crisp. And then with that hop character balanced on top, is really good. Okay, cool. What do you go to? My name's Woody. Um, I'm going to go with our Golden Sour right now ah. um, for a few reasons, because uh, it's really like right up my alley the the acidity is is balanced really well it's it's a sour that i look forward to drinking and there's a lot that are you know so aggressive that i can't drink a whole glass of um but this is something we might get into down the road but where that golden sour is headed um in the next uh few months and years for us i'm really really excited about to have such a, a solid foundation to build on there you go how do you how do you guys choose the names? I'm always curious about this because obviously the names of, of beers are, are very popular, you know, all over the place. But how, how do you go about choosing the names? Is it, are these like 
huge arguments here? Or is that pretty a slip notes on the door? Like, what, what, go, what goes well, up? It kind of started out with a terrible text thread where we would start off and say, hey, listen, um, we have this, this style of beer coming up. What do you guys think for names? And the text thread was about 10 people initially, and then people slowly bowed out, and then we got a little bit more organized and started looking at the schedule saying, hey, we have this beer coming up using peaches or this beer coming up using another fruit or a specialty grain. Where can we go from there? And then, then it's a roundtable discussion about it. Like somebody will usually come out with a good idea. Not always. <laughs> yeah, let's put this into context. Now, this is a bigger deal for us than I think it is for a lot of other breweries because between our palate system and regularly doing one-off beers, even from the large system, we're having to do two, three, four names a week. So we have a lot of beers uh, that uh, have been through names. And it's like, can we use this name again? It's really similar to this other name. You know, we've probably named more than 600 different beers uh, in our time here. And you have that list published that kind of people see that? Or <laughs> no, no, we can't just, even keep up with it. Keep up with it. You it's on untapped. On, it's on untapped. Un okay, fair There's enough. There's some really terrible ones. <laughs> is, there, is, there, is there one you can think of? You don't have to call out anyone, but like obviously fans of the brewery that come here all the time that say, hey, you guys should try this name. Is there anyone you can think of that's like just off the wall, that's the craziest thing you've ever heard? They, they all have their own little stories. Um, I think to me, some of the some of the biggest disasters are the ones that that no one can pronounce. <laughs> so like we had this uh, we had this dark lager one time that we we named Dash Mitternacht, which is uh, which oh man the way people butchered that one was funny. Also Hicatine. Hicatine was. One of my favorites is a beer called Table for Two. So you'd go to the bar and say Table for Two, but one at one of our restaurants where this beer was going to premiere, uh, we don't take reservations. So I just imagine the bartender saying. We don't take reservations. Right. Find your own table. Yeah, get your own table. Table for two. I can um, see the confusion that happens there. Um, well, so let's take a step back quick. So Woody and Chris, you guys met, if I recall, years ago, right? Just bartending mm -hmm. um, and, and going through the, you know, the whole downtown scene and those type of things. What... What was the progression? So obviously, you know, and I, and I have a lot of friends that were bartenders. I used to bartend years ago. Well, you guys decided, you know what? I don't just want to bartend or maybe change careers or do something else. I actually want to run my own business and start my own bar, brewery, etc. When did that hit each of you? Was that something you guys always wanted to do? Or was that something that kind of clicked later on? I'm curious for each of y'all. I think, I think behind the bar and the, the busy nights, the some of the more stressful nights, we would come up with some ideas um, you know we'd have things that we were excited about um, beer was just really becoming an exciting thing for us when we first met um, and trying new things uh, but then there were the negative parts you know the, the stressful parts of bartending where we'd say this isn't what we want to be doing exactly um, and that's where the dream sort of like what would we do if we did our own thing just just as a pipe dream never a serious thing for for several years um, but then when beer became a more serious Thing for us when we were seeking out things and traveling to find things um, it it just became a, a real passion and a real dream um, and we started looking for buildings downtown we started dreaming up you know what we could do and um, what we were capable of and um, and that's where the busy bee um, yeah and so with busy bee how, how did that whole start it was there because I'm always curious right if someone says hey I want to go out tomorrow and start a bar like not only are there a lot of funding that's needed, there's regulations and stuff like that. So, like, I guess I'm curious, like, were, were you, did you get funding for it? Was it family and friends help? Was it your own? Like, how, how did you guys actually start from when, when Busy Bee started? I guess, was that 2009? 
Is that right? About yep. 2009 we opened. Yep. Um, April 6, 2009. <laughs> so I think probably in 2007 or so um, was when, when the dream really started coming together. Um, our Another partner who's not here today, David, was sort of the, the real estate um, portion of things of our the four of our partnership. Um, found this building. Uh, he and Chris were working together. Chris called me up and said, do you want to come look at this building with me? Um, and the three of us looked at it and it was in pretty rough shape, but, but there was a dream there and there was a possibility, um, you know, for us to, to figure out the funding. So it was bank, a bank loan uh, okay. funded. Um, I don't know what they were thinking, given the three of us money at the time. <laughs> uh, but we convinced them and that, that's how we got that that first place started. Okay. Yeah. And, and was there anything you guys learned, and, and maybe it's even for today, but definitely with Busy Bee, that, that you learned from bartending specifically that maybe made you feel like, eh, maybe I'm prepared for this. Like Besides, obviously, like making drinks and stuff. Like, was there anything in particular you guys learned? Yeah, for sure. I think what what I really learned was at we were both managing bars um, when we were getting ready to leave Rocky Top Hospitality. Um, we were managing the bar, so we had a lot of say in like what was being served there. So we would get to choose new and exciting beers, new and exciting wines, learn about them, share our passion with people, and people really started to appreciate that. When we're talking to people about beer and like we talk about kind of our first experience with a beer, the flavors we taste in those beers, and then teach people like why, some of the appreciation that goes into those beers, or even like the appreciation for the labor that goes into these beers, or any of those special things that make that beer stand out in our minds, people really kind of grab onto that. You know, they can see the passion that we have for those beers, and sharing those pa- sharing the passion with those people made them fans and made them become, you know, want to try the next beer. They wanted to see what, what am I, what are we drinking next, or what should I have tonight? And when you gain those uh, guests' trust or those fans' trust, then they continue to tell they tell their friends and they say, hey, we got to go see Rick. I know he's got great beer knowledge, or I want to go. I'm feeling, you know, I'm gonna see what's new from this brewery X, and that's kind of how we started the ball rolling. Um, we wanted to really focus on craft beer because that was our passion. And it's easy to share your passion with somebody because you know it inside and out. You get excited about it. And you want to scream it from the mountaintops and can't believe why people haven't had this beer. And people really see that energy and get excited about it too. Yeah. Why? Uh, so why craft beer? Like, did you guys do home brewing at all? Like, did you test that market and just try to figure it out yourself? Like, how did how did you get into craft beer? Like, why why was that the thing? Well, for us, the passion was getting to know. So the company we were working for, they had a small microbrewery, um, and we got to go and meet the brewer, talk to him, and see like the process of brewing your own beer, and just see all the variables. It's like cooking. You know, you could use a bunch of different ingredients um, and change a little bit of the process and have a different result at the end. And you want to get to kind of learn those things and learn about the ingredients and the people that are making those beers. Um, for us, it was kind of like finding something new and different from a different country, from a, you know the same style from a different country and comparing it to one that's brewed in America or um, one that's only available with a fruit that's only grown in a different country or things like that and really get excited about it. But then we wanted to really control some of those details. We were brewing these collaborative projects with breweries at the time because when we opened Busy Bee, we didn't have a brewery. So we'd go to a brewery and say, hey, listen, let's talk about have you guys ever brewed a Berliner Weiss? And they'd say, you know, most of the times at 2010, people would say, no, what is a Berliner Weiss? Then you'd start to talk to them about the process. The brewer would get an opportunity to do the research and figure out how they're gonna brew it on their scale and in their brew house. And we would say to them, listen, if you brew us this beer, we'll pay for it all. Take it off the books, your accountant will be happy. You know that it's going one place um, and we're gonna buy it. 
And then we're going to tell the story when it hits our bar top. And we're going to share it with guests. We're going to get people excited. And then we're going to, we're going to move all that beer. So we were doing these collaborative projects with breweries all over the country at the time. Um, and we decided one day, we're like, well, why are we doing this for everybody else? We should be doing this just for ourselves. You know, we would drive and pick up barrels and bring them to breweries. And, you know, they would brew a beer, put it in a barrel. We'd take, and then we'd get all that beer, but we'd leave the barrel with them so they could continue to experiment and continue to learn and continue to kind of push the boundaries of what they were brewing. Um, we finally were like, one day we're like, you know what, we need to figure this out on our own. Let's open our own brewery. And that's how we met Les. Uh, Les was a home brewer at the time, and he was brewing on a small scale at his house. Um, just had the right personality, and he had the right work ethic, and he would share the, our same palate for beers that we wanted to be brewing. And that's how we brought him into the fold. Yeah. Well, Les, let's talk about home brewing, because I have a lot of neighbors that are probably listen to this that are sure. uh, you know, huge home brewers. Um, one, what was, tell me the story, I guess, how did you get started home brewing? What was the, the passion for you to kind of do that yourself when, have you been doing that for years and years, or was that something brand new for you early uh, on when they came to you? Oh, I'd, I'd been doing it for years uh, at that point in time and kind of increased the, uh, the uh, amount and types of beer that I, uh, that I had been brewing. It was a pretty big system by the time that uh, we started talking. Um, I was passionate about it, but I was really passionate about not just home brewing and the excitement of, of the hobby itself, but also the craft beer and the kind of spectrum of, uh, of beers that were being exposed by bars like Busy Bee Cafe. Um, yeah, I had uh, I got into it probably 2004, 2005, um, when um, right before we started to see a lot more craft beers with the uh, Pop the Cat bill that happened in North Carolina that kind of opened up the market in terms of uh, available beer here. and. Um, you know, stumbled into realizing kind of what beer could be, and uh, and there were styles that I started to read about that you couldn't get on the shelves. Uh, so you'd read about those, and you'd start to uh, say, okay, well, then the only way I'm going to have this beer is to brew it myself. Um, so, uh, you know, I would brew it. We would, sometimes I would brew collectively with other home brewers. They'd come over. We'd, you know, bring multiple systems together to, to brew beers. Um, you know, some t- one time, there was this great time that... Uh, uh, before Trophy was started that uh, Chris and Woody had a barrel that they offered to, to me and I was like, I, I can't brew the 55 gallons that would be required to fill up this barrel, but I've got a bunch of friends um, that also homebrew and we came together in my backyard and brewed enough beer uh, and this is one of the barrels that was exactly under the program that Chris was just talking about where they had they had sent it to another brewery and it had been filled with beer and emptied a couple of times and, and no other brewery was like found use in it but uh, they offered this to me and I was like I can't say no to that. Um, we brought a bunch of uh, home brewers over, filled the, uh, filled the barrel up, made some great beer with it. Um, so it was a... It was an experience that was as much about beer and community um, and exploring the unknown in terms of craft beer. Um, that's what really drove me. Is there anything you'd share for the homebrewers out there? Maybe it's a, a trade secret, if you will, or something where they should be thinking about that they might not be just by going through their you know homebrew kit that they find online or something? Or? Sure. Uh, you know what I would say? Pay attention to your water profile. It's a really nerdy thing to say. Um, but... Uh, Manipulating your water profile isn't as intimidating as, as a lot of home brewers think it is, especially if you're already to a level where you're all grain brewing, um, where you are dry hopping, where you are bottling and keeping gravities. You know, you're at a level where you can easily uh, find out what your local profile is without you know a lot of uh, a lot of lab work um, in terms of like what 
what uh, minerals are in your water, and then you can run spreadsheets that are available for free online against that water profile to change those to change that water profile so that it better fits the uh, the malt bill that you're working with in order to make specific styles. So that's what I would encourage someone that was that was pretty serious about home brewing. Take it to the next level. Work with your water profile. Okay, perfect. Now I, I got another question. My, my curiosity. So you were doing home, just home brewing at this time. What were you doing other? Were you were you, oh. all, all, were you involved in that industry or something totally different? So I wasn't. I had a uh, had a database development company, just a little one. Okay. that was really me and my brother. We we uh, we were uh, running a little uh, little business at a downtown Raleigh, doing a lot of work for nonprofits and things like that on um, on uh, inventory. Uh, donation systems things like that um, developing a lot of that stuff from scratch a lot of coding and stuff um, but I did want to get out of it and into the beer world and had recently been working on a uh, uh, recent meaning prior to to, to uh, hooking up with Chris and Woody about this particular uh, endeavor but working on a bottle shop plan uh, to open in Raleigh and this was before we really saw a lot of bottle shops um, so I was trying to get into the industry took a job as a um, uh, working with another beer bar in town um, buying their uh, buying their beer and that gave me yet another connection to Chris and Woody other other than just being drinking buddies uh, kind of inside the industry Um, so I was sort of interested in getting into the industry Um, but when this opportunity arose couldn't say no I closed down the other business took my shingle down and uh, and uh, attached my uh, my wagon to these guys that's pretty cool well, so I'm curious because obviously you guys had Busy Bee. You're doing home brewing, bottle shop stuff. And, and, and what was David doing at the time? Uh, he was just starting to do real estate developments. Though. Okay. So, yeah. so you guys all come together, have a meeting of the mind. Was this one of those like Mark Zuckerberg, hey, show up at this time and whoever doesn't show up is not in type thing? Or had you guys been kind of working on this for a while and, and slowly brought other folks in? Uh, so that was the conversation that Woody and I had started with David. He said, we want to really start. We, let's start working on a plan to do this on our own, figure out how we can do it. Um, put the money together and get an idea of what this thing could be like. Um, and then, you know, we're like, where are we going to find a brewer? We had already been doing this thing called a home brewer highlight, or highlight where we'd go and interview brewers, go to their house and see their homebrew setups and just kind of get to know them a little bit, see what kind of beer they're brewing and see what beer they're passionate about. So we've gotten to know a few in the area. Um, but we just kept coming back to, uh, you know, working with Les. You know, he had had experience, he shared a similar palette. Is you know he had the right temperament for the kind of person we wanted to work with long term, so it was uh, it seemed like a no brainer. So talk me through maybe the first month or two when you actually said, okay, we're we're opening this, we're opening this brewery. Like what? I, I'm always curious, I guess, and maybe we, you guys can go on this rabbit hole if you want. Is the regulations and red tape of actually starting a business, an alcohol business, right? Whether it's brewing, whatever else. Can you talk through that? Like, were there a lot of regulations, a lot of paperwork, a lot of hurdles to get over the hump to even get started? Um, so yeah, there are uh, a lot of obstacles in terms of both federal and state requirements uh, in order to uh, get your alcohol permits and your brewery permits in order. Um, it takes a lot of time to kind of get your head around what they're trying to, what they're asking for. Sometimes uh, they there's a lot of focus on where the grain's gonna be kept, if it's gonna be secure, you know, um, whether or not you have uh, uh, systems in place for, for kind of inventory management to make sure that you're, you're not producing beer and selling it off to the side. You know, so a lot of controls that are associated with um, just verifying that you're paying the correct amount of taxes and things like that. Um, 
So just really following following the letter of the law and making sure that you you know put the forms together with the the right answers and submit it, and then you have to wait because at particularly at that point in time, it was taking a very long time to process uh, brewery um, uh, permits at the federal level. Um, and if something was wrong, then you know you were kicked to the back of the line and started back up. So risk really making sure that all your all your eyes are dotted and your T's crossed before you submit those forms. Are we talking weeks or months? Or We're talking months. months. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what was going on in the interim? Were you guys were you doing some testing on you know hey what are the first beers we're going to brew? Was yeah. it more marketing stuff? What was the yeah. So what we were doing um, before that is, so Les was brewing these small batches. We'd gotten a small amount of equipment so that he could be brewing at home um, and, you know, controlling temperature and fermenters a little bit better and really starting to dial in some of the recipes. So we knew that it was going to take a little bit of time to get our permits done, but we wanted to start to get the buzz out there. So what we were doing was um, hosting these little parties, these tasting parties, where people could come in, they'd bring us a trophy, and we'd give them a taste of our beer. they started to gain popularity and it really started to get our name out there because we were collecting email addresses, getting to know people, and, and kind of getting to share the beers that we're going to be putting out there in a few months with them uh, as like a sneak preview. People kind of got to get in the know pretty quick. And collecting boxes. And boxes of trophies. Yeah. <laughs> we, have a really, we have a really great picture of all three of us standing behind a, a, de- or a table upstairs at the Busy Bee with all the trophies that people had donated that night. And, it was blinding Hundreds. how bright it was. Yeah. yeah, most people are ready to give them up. They're like, you know, I was going to throw these away, but I'd rather give them to you. You know, than for a beer. Yeah, for a beer. <laughs> yeah. Of course. <laughs> right. Yeah. And um, on, on the back end of that, we were searching for buildings for locations um, and discussing, you know, what kind of equipment we needed, depending on the, the type of space we could find. And you know, none of us were. You know, Les wasn't a professional yet, um, and we hadn't run a brewery. You know, none of us. So we we asked for a lot of help. We definitely used all of our contacts um uh, even calling sebastian you know a sort of a consultant someone that worked in another brewery that was willing to give us all kinds of advice on you know the type of system we needed you know i was curious on the the, the location so obviously you guys are this was your first maywood was the first right mm-hmm. or, or not okay what was no. the, the first one uh the first trophy location was on morgan street okay morgan street okay yeah. so obviously even operations here or maybe Mo- morgan street can any building be outfitted to be a brewery, or is there certain <laughs> things that have to be in place? Like that's again, I'm I'm curious if there's like, sure. I mean, it's kind of like the basic stuff. It's like power, water, um, and then some of those other things beyond that. Those are the two major, most expensive things that you look into. Uh, Leslie, you can spark. Speak to some of the yeah. detail stuff. Sure. So yeah, you do. Um, water is a really good point. I think that might be one of the one of the tricky things. You have to make sure that you have bigger than a half inch water line leading into the property, right? Because um, and if you don't, then you need to figure out a way to connect uh, to uh, to the main water line and bring in something uh, to the range of a one inch, two inch uh, line. Um, fortunately, you know, um, uh, you know, if you're lucky, you can you can land something with that. You have to make sure you have enough power. Um, that was a little bit of a challenge uh, for us at the original location because we were going to run an electric brewery that was going to demand a, a large number, uh, a large amperage supply on a single um, phase system. On a single phase system, which almost everything in breweries uh, these days is built to be on three phase systems. So we had to do a lot of conversion and a lot of uh, a lot of efficiency loss in terms of uh, in terms of electric uh, um, design, electrical design. Um, when we came here, which is a much bigger facility, we had to make sure that all of those uh, uh, utility supplies were large enough to handle uh, what we were going to do and what we wanted to grow to. Um, so we actually had to pull in a whole new power set uh, to be able to uh, to supply 
uh, the kind of power supplies that we're going to need in this uh, particular area, in this particular facility. Um, you need to make sure you have somewhere that you can receive um, uh, your, your, your raw materials and your inputs. Um, if you're running a small enough brewery, you can run it like we used to run it at our small brewery where we have to pay for a lift gate every time. So every delivery has an extra $75 fee on top of it, but it was, it was made sense as opposed to building a um, loading dock. When we got here, we realized we were going to be taking that much more in terms of uh, taking in that much more in terms of raw materials. So we really needed a loading dock where we wouldn't have to pay that additional fee every time that it came down because those numbers add up. So you really want to pay attention to your scale, what you're going to need, and uh, and then you know what you want to spend money on in terms of capital versus finding other solutions uh, that will eat into your cash flow. Yeah. And I'm always curious too, especially with there's multiple folks involved in the endeavor early on. Now you were obviously less handling the the brewing side of it, the most part. How did you, Chris? How did you guys split up, or David even split up? Like, okay, who's going to do what with the business? It, it, was that an easy task to split those up, or was that again a challenge as well? I mean, I think it's always a challenge. Um, we try to play to our strengths, obviously. You know what we're what we're good at, but I think. I think that's important in going back to one of your earlier questions is um, when we realized this is what we wanted to do, we sort of dove into getting as much experience ahead of time as we could. So, you know, Chris and I's strengths are running front of house operations. Um, so we knew we wanted to be in the food and beverage industry. We, you know, took that jump for less money, <laughs> more hours to be managing places and learning everything that we could in that realm. Um, so that we were ready to do our own kind of thing um, rather than just thinking we can figure it out. Um, and that's something that I try to, you know, if anybody asks us for advice, which they should or shouldn't do, I'm not sure. Um, but that's something I always try to tell people is, you know, you should be learning, you know, if you're working with us, you know, use all the opportunities that we have. Like, let us show you what we know, at least, so you have that as knowledge. Um, and that's what we tried to do, was working for other people, try to figure out the best systems we could possibly have so that we could plug and play with those those types yeah. of things. So, you know, David obviously is the real estate arm of things, so he can handle sort of repairs and maintenance, which is great, because we were working till four in the morning, you know, and couldn't come in at six in the morning to fix, you know, a toilet or something like that. So David could schedule that and handle that type of thing. Um, where Chris and I could run the operations, Les could handle the, the actual producing of the beer, the production of the beer. Yeah, I think that, I mean, and that's one of those things, again, to talk with a lot of folks in this podcast, like, sometimes you have to be a practitioner and go through the work and do it. You can't just expect, oh, I did some search on Google and now I'm going to be this man. You know, like, right. you actually have to do the work there. So that's awesome that you guys actually took that step back, did that, and, and ultimately you've kind of reap the benefits of it so far, right? So I'm curious to transition, obviously, if we take a step forward in the in the story here. So you guys have three locations now, right? Then you have the state of beer. Is that considered an extra location? I don't know, I'm just learning. Yeah. Um, so four, technically, right? Yeah. One of the neat things I like, and, and again, a lot of feedback too, by the way, there's a, you guys have a lot of buzz out there, right? Everyone yeah. loves it, at least the people I talk with, right? And I love it too. And one of the reasons I want to talk to you guys, because one of the things I like is people being unique and not going down the same line most. So the fact that you guys have different locations that do different things, mm -hmm. can you talk through that strategy a little bit? Why was that important and not just kind of, hey, we're gonna open these different breweries or different, you know, that are the same. Yeah, so the base of all of our businesses is really craft beer, right? And the craft, and there's angles that we kind of take on it. Um, you know, state of beer is our way that we celebrate everyone else's beer. We have trophy beer there, but it's not the only place that 
you know, it's not the only thing about that place that makes it special. Trophy tap and table is an expression of, um, you know, the food that we want to be serving. It's a, a rotating menu where we partner with a chef to come up with a new and exciting menu, and that's the place where you're going to get beers that premiere. Um, Trophy on, on Morgan Street is actually getting ready to become another focal point for us. We're adding a huge sour program over there. Um, so that's going to be a focus for us there. Um, and Maywood kind of function, well, Maywood does function as the, the production hub. This is where you can come and see the beer being made. Um, you sit here and you can see we're pretty proud of that brew, that brew house and the, uh, the equipment and everything that goes into it. So giant plate glass windows where people can see how it's made. They feel connected to, to the beer and to the brand that way. And none, none of us would be excited to get out of bed every morning if we had four of the same place. You know, it would just be trying to staff those to do the same thing, reproducing the same exact product at each place. Wouldn't be, it's just not, not exciting. exciting to us. Um, and I don't think that would be exciting to people around here if there were just four of the same place. You know, also, we're that proximity. For, yeah. We're yeah. for punishment. Right? We That's might not be saying. very yeah. smart. Yeah. <laughs> the point. Well, thank God that they're as close as they are to each other. Like you could imagine, that would be it'd be really difficult if we had a place in Durham. Um, but we are literally, you know, five minutes away. So in the event of an emergency or a health inspection or something like that, you know, we can easily get to a get to another location. Yeah. What's the so you guys obviously you know bottle the beer, can beer, and stuff that people can buy. And, and again, maybe um, fact check. Check me on this. It could be wrong, but right now, are you guys? You're not distributing like statewide or even national. Like, is that a goal down the road? Is that any visions of that, or do you guys want to stay very local? Have you guys talked through that at all? Or? Yeah, we talk about it quite a bit because as we grow, we kind of think about what this brand looks like in five, 10, 15 years. I think we are all too um, connected to that beer to let it go too far outside of our realm of control because we want to make sure that beer is treated the right way from our place to its end place and to the consumer. So we want to make sure that that beer is fresh, delicious, in the way that we intended it when it went into the can. Um, we do distribute regularly to Raleigh, Durham, and Chapel Hill. We go to Charlotte once a month. We go to Wilmington once a month. Um, and then if we travel for events, we'll send some beer ahead of it just so they can, can get a little bit more of a presence in a market. Um, but for us, it's kind of scary to think about our beer being outside of the state and then sitting in a hot warehouse and then somebody gets a beer, a beer and then it's bad or it tastes wrong or it's just not something that we're looking to, to get into right now. Plus, we're selling all of the beer that we possibly make in the Triangle area now. Yeah. Um, the small amount that ekes out to Wilmington and Charlotte is really just to kind of bring people back to Raleigh and say, you know, I have this really great beer from Trophy. I want to go check out the brewery. I understand they have 12 unique beers on all the time and a full-time cask engine, and they're opening a sour program and, and some of those things. Well, and one of the other things, I guess going back, you know, turn the page back just a bit, where we talk about the, the many locations doing mm -hmm. different things. You also obviously... You guys don't just brew five beers and say these are the ones. You're always shuffling in new stuff. Yeah. Again, talk. Can you talk a little bit about that again? Because I think that's unique as well. For sure. Some may do it. I'm not sure, but yeah. at least from what I know, that's pretty unique. That's just kind of like the world we live in now. People always want to come back and, and try something new and something different. We kind of looked at it like uh, you know you go to a website and if it's not updated all the time, you just stop going, right? So what we also want to do is like give people reasons to come in here more than one day a week. They want to come in and try something new, and it's also a way for the brewers to be artistic and express themselves, to try a different beer, use a different ingredient, to, to apply a technique that they heard on a podcast and want to try to apply to a beer that we're brewing here. Or maybe they see a brewer from a different country brewing a style of beer that they really want to try. We're going to try it. You know, It's a creative outlet, and it's the way that we continue to, to learn more and grow. And I'm, not, is, I'm sorry. No, you yeah, I was going to say, and it meshes really well with the way that businesses are using social media um, to really promote business. So 
constantly having a new beer means constantly being able to post about a new beer or constantly be able to put pictures about us adding an ingredient to a new beer. And that maintains our buzz and really you know, maintains the kind of level of excitement that Chris is talking about. That, that plan, I will say, was from day one, was always the way we wanted to operate. And it's also, it can be really exciting, you know, for Les and for, for all of us as a team to really hone a beer in, you know, like Trophy Wife or Cloud Surfer that we're going to be doing all the time. We want that to be perfect and consistent um, and be the same experience, you know, every time someone has it so that they come back to it. Um, but if people aren't excited about that beer, you know, six months from now, we don't want to keep brewing it. You know, if we're not excited about it, we don't want to keep doing that and trying to shove it down people's throats and figure out, you know, what kind of marketing we need to make that beer work. We want to brew the beer that's exciting to them and to us. So that's the way we've always operated. What's the logistics around? Because obviously if you have the same, you can have the same setup and we run through. Are the logistics just a nightmare to switch off that much? Or maybe not. Maybe you've gotten down to a science now. <laughs> uh, yes and no. Um, it's true. You can brew a lot of different styles with pretty much the same equipment as long as you understand the ingredients and their differences because you can manipulate other variables including temperature and fermentation. Uh, trends and how long you leave it in fermentation, all the things that really make each beer unique and separate from different beers. But there are specific beers that do need different types of equipment. Uh, one example of that, we mentioned uh, our lager program. Um, to do really proper lagers, we actually have to have a different type of tank, which we recently invested in. Um, sometimes we have to run specific beers that have had ingredients that may be uh, that may need to run through like a trap filter to kind of catch them during transfer from tank to tank. Um, so they'll, so as long as you have the right kind of collection of equipment available to you, it opens up your palate in terms of what you can do um, in, in spectrum. Um, and we're always looking at looking to add things to our kind of collection of equipment that will expand that, uh, that our abilities uh, and be able to kind of expand our spectrum uh, in terms of able to be able what uh, I'm just curious, your guys' overall thoughts. The the current beer market is it oversaturated? Are we in a good spot? Like, what, what are your guys' thoughts on that? Just compared to maybe it was ten years ago when you when you opened Busy Bee. Yeah, I mean it's an exciting time to be a consumer for sure. I think uh, there are so many brands that are looking at North Carolina, like out of state brands, national brands that are looking at North Carolina because they're seeing that there's an advanced beer palette here now. People are really willing to try some of the wilder beers. They they are looking online and social media to see what new things are being brewed, where they're coming from, and all those ingredients, and kind of like putting North Carolina beer up against this higher standard. Um, so what we look about, what we think about as, like for us as a brewer, is like we look outside the doors and see what people are doing across the country and across the world. And we're trying to raise the level of quality, the level of like creative outlet that we're doing here, and just trying to continue to evolve and advance. Um, I don't think we're saturated. I don't think for sure. I think a lot of like quality will kind of rise to the top. People are producing bad beers on a regular basis. Consumers are going to notice that. Consumers are going to go in there and have two bad beers and be like, I'm done with them. Um, so small breweries or even mid-sized breweries that aren't keeping up with trends and not continuing to evolve or advance are kind of probably start to fall by the wayside. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, I'm just curious just because like, you know, are there, it just seems like there's so many out there. Is there potential for new players to be in the market but to your point I mean quality does win yeah if people find you know and there's kind of a cult following right as you guys yeah. know right if if people like it they're going to continue to come along and I, I think standards are so much higher now like, like if you open a brewery it can't just be the closest brewery to you it has to be exciting it has to be new ingredients and it has to be current trends and then pushing trends or else you'd kind of just flounder and go away I think right so it's disappointing when we 
see a new place open that looks like it's not interested at all in the quality that they've just you know in it because it looks like a fun business to be in or it's exciting and it seems like everyone's doing well um, but there's definitely tons of room for the craft beer segment to, to grow still we're still under 20 percent well under 20 percent of, of the beer market as a, a whole so let me ask this and you guys can all take it in, in your different kind of spin is business advice there's a lot out there and what have you but if you if maybe there was one piece that you learned or maybe something whether you read or someone mentor gave you whatever that's helped you propel kind of where you're at today is there anything you'd share with the audience that has been impactful for each and every one of y'all um i think one of the things that i like to think that we do pretty well uh in terms of the beer production kind of model that we've chosen to use and where our investments are um, is making sure that we are investing capital and making capital investments in our equipment and in our production capacity in a way that doesn't oversize any one part of it um, because what you're going to do is you're going to feel like you need to grow all the other parts and you can be caught in an upward uh, spiral that can leave you uh, out of control or in too much debt. So really making sure that you've got kind of solid goals and understandings of where your bottlenecks are in your production operation is going to really make you maximize the amount of investment that you put into it and thus maximize the amount of cash flow you have on a daily basis that you can then accrue and make that next investment of whatever that improvement needs to be. And you'll have time to figure that out as you move forward in your business plan. So, you know, avoiding bottlenecks in production design or in business design, I think, would be... That's a great piece. Chris, what, do you, what, what would you guys share? Uh, continue to learn. Continue. Don't ever go into it thinking that you know everything about uh, your business. I think there's always something you can learn from a big guy and a small guy. Um, we are constantly listening to podcasts about beer, business, brewing, HR, um, like creative uh, like TED Talks, things like that. Like you always have to keep learning to stay ahead. Yeah. I would absolutely agree with that and I think our um, you know a lot of the hiring practices and, and how we view our staff is probably another really important thing that we've all learned along the way um, because you can't trust the people you're working with you're you're not going to go anywhere so we we invest heavily um, in trying to treat people well the way we want to be treated we you know we realize work is work but we want it to be the best possible um, atmosphere that, that it can be and for people to be proud of what we're doing awesome well let's end on this is there anything you can share and you don't have to give away any secrets but like what's the next six months a year look like for you guys is there anything you guys are excited about that's that's happening <laughs> absolutely that you could share yeah yeah, yeah, share. Share. Absolutely. <laughs> sure. um, yeah dig into this our this location is, uh, on morgan street um we may have mentioned earlier is expanding um we just had 260 chairs land on friday we're just excited about seating <laughs> wow. currently so seating's number one no it's seating has been our biggest complaint over there we have no room in there you know people always say it looks packed and we must be so happy with what we're doing over there the reality is it takes 20 people to look packed over there because we've had no room so we're taking over the rest of that building we're moving our sour program over there like we mentioned that's really really exciting to be moving a brewing aspect of things back over there um, we're hiring hiring someone specifically for that position that program's going to grow significantly um, we invested in a lot of wood that's heading over there so we're going to be aging um, a ton more wood aged sours over there um, five 22 barrel 
fooders are landing. We have two 20 barrel fooders already going um, and lots, you know, lots more barrels um, on top of that. Lots of really cool small barrel projects too happening. We're working with a local potter to, to fabricate an amphora for us made from North Carolina terracotta. So it'll actually be, you know, we use as many local ingredients in that beer, have a locally captured yeast and have a terracotta amphora made for this. And then we'll actually have a true taste of what North Carolina is like. There's a lot of really cool things uh, also built into the design for in the front of house, uh, the ability to break out uh, areas for event space and to do uh, very intimate events uh, in the uh, in the fooder room, in the barrel room. Um, so uh, really excited about the opportunity to, to do that as many times as we've been asked and haven't been able to say yes uh, to a lot of uh, kind of mid-sized parties. We're really excited about that. Yeah, for seven years over there, we've never been able to have a beer dinner. We've never been able to do really any private events at all. So all of that's going to be a whole new realm for us over there. Really exciting. We also have a vertical fooder that's going to be landing. So that beer that we're all enjoying so much right now, the, the Pilsner that we've been working on, we're going to have some uh, wood-aged um, lager as well coming out. So that's going to be fun too. That's yeah, really exciting stuff, and mm-hmm. like I said, this has been an awesome pleasure. I uh, I have to give credit my uh, my neighbor Matt kind of turned me on to you guys many <laughs> years ago, and and just to give him credit, he even says, and I agree with him, that probably the best brewery in the Triangle, not only in product but branding and the motto with all the separate locations. So I, kudos to that as well. Um, Thanks, this Matt. Is, yeah. <laughs> so uh, Matt, no free beer just because you said that. Um, <laughs> But this was awesome. Thank you guys for having me yeah, for on sure. site here and sharing your story. This has been pretty cool. Yeah. So thank you very much. Yeah, for sure. Thanks thank for you so much. Uh, reaching out. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that interview and look forward to having you for the next one. And if you are getting value out of this podcast, please head over to iTunes. Leave me a quick review. Let me know how I'm doing. It's the only way I'm going to be able to make this podcast better each and every episode. And go connect with me online at Brian Andreco on Instagram or Twitter. Or head over to my website, brianondraco.com where I house the podcasts, you know, my CrossFit journey, a ton of blog articles. I even have a now page to kind of keep people up to speed on the last couple months. Um, at worst, it gives my mom peace of mind to keep tabs on me and know that I'm doing okay. So I hope you guys continue to do great. Um, I look forward to having you on another episode and keeping connected online. Take care, have a phenomenal week, and we'll talk to you soon.